Huddly doodly camperinos. Huddly doodly doodly. How y'all feeling this week? Good. Fantastic. Feel good too. Uh, you know, are you guys ready for Halloween yet? No. Yes. We're definitely not ready at all. No, um, not even. Are you ready? I, I don't do anything, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm not not ready, but I'm ready for a good time when it comes up. Okay, we'll get it ready for Halloween this year, and you're always welcome. What are we doing for our Halloween costume? Oh, were we gonna do Wayne's, Wayne's World? World? Oh, I was thinking we were doing Wayne's World. Uh, we'll see. All right, so Halloween's in progress for all of us, and I don't worry. The reason I threw that in there is because if you're not ready for Halloween, I wanted you to know that you're not alone. The procrastination continues. Exactly. But I'm having so much fun doing all these Halloween episodes, and I hope that you're enjoying listening to them as we're doing them. And, well, if you're wondering who the hell I am while you're listening to this, I'm sorry, should I say wondering who the H-E double hockey six I am, I'm your host, Dylan, and you're listening to a new episode of Campfire Adventures Podcasts. So we have some of the usual suspects here with us for this week's live audience. Shout out to Lori, Patrice, and the boys. Hello. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't that kind of podcast, Lori. <laughs> and then, of course, all of you out there in podcast land, I appreciate you for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. So now with all that said, you know what time it is. It's time for us to grab a drink. Nice. Cheers. This beer is delicious. Which, it's the Elysian pumpkin ale. Yeah, it's great. Cinnamony, a little bit nutty, slightly pumpkin-y. From our sponsors at Elysian, go ahead and buy any of their products, 21 and older. Drink responsibly. We won't be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Unlike some of those other beers. Anyway, so we grabbed a drink, so we clinked, so clink, 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 clink. We're around the portable campfire, sitting outside of the Oceanside sign by the beach. And it's time for us to get into this week's episode. So for this month's episodes, we're covering scary movies and the true stories behind them. I mean, initially it didn't start off like that. I, the goal was to find a similar story associated with that idea. But this has been something that I thought was really cool so far. We started off with Conjuring. We did The Exorcist. We just had our movie Monday. And now we're doing a new movie. And it's crazy to me because I know that things in movies aren't definitely always true. Like they're touched by the Hollywood magic and stuff like that. But so far, you know, for all these movies that we've done, we're doing the unmovified version, and they're all based off of a true story kind of thing. I didn't realize how many movies actually had true stories, at least loosely based on them. I knew that they were out there. Anyway, so for this week's episode, I decided to cover a scary movie that Lori actually watched, and that it was something that haunted her until this very day. And the movie that I'm talking about is called Fire in the Sky. And once again, I'm dropping the ball and I haven't seen this movie and there's a lot of scary movies I haven't seen, but that's okay because Lori watched it 
And we've actually been talking about covering this since we started the podcast. I remember we were driving around in Carlsbad. Remember when we took like some random trip driving around? Yeah. And you were like, one of the scariest stories that I've ever heard was the fire in the sky. It's based off a movie. And I'm going to let you talk about your experience with that. But what I'd like to do is tell you the true story that it's based off of to see if it differs from the movie, if that's okay. Now, if you've heard of the movie and watched it, then maybe you won't get too freaked out. But what might make this movie a little bit scarier is knowing the true story that it's based off of. And that all of this actually really happened to a person. And that person's name is Travis Walton. He actually wrote a book entitled The Walton Experience. And then after the movie came out, he republished that book and titled it Fire in the Sky, based on the true story. Well, I mean, I felt like that's a good way to, you know, to market it, but everything was written down. So if you got the time and you're a pretty fast reader, then go ahead and get the books. I'll put them on the website, and I know that I'm rambling, and you're wondering what the hell actually happened, and I'm ready to tell you. So here it goes. So the year was 1975, in the month of November, and there was a crew of six loggers working out in Apache Greaves National Forest in Arizona. One of the guys' names was, you guessed it, Travis Walton. And, <laughs> sorry, why is that so funny? I don't know. He's like, I did guess it. I didn't guess it, actually. Oh, no. So their job that day was just clearing up the forest so that they could prevent, like, a buildup of brush. You know, sometimes they have to do that just in case wildfires come. And they just kind of, it's called, like, trimming. And so they get rid of, like, dead trees. They mm -hmm. cut them down like load them up and stuff like that get rid of like the extra brush and whatever so they're doing that all day in arizona in november in 1975 and so it was starting to get pretty late and the crew of six decided that it was time to pack it on in because they had about an hour to drive to get to the closest city and and that was herber arizona and so they all hop into the truck yes all six of them hop into a truck and I'm not sure if this part of the story is important, but every article that I read and every interview that I watched mentioned it, so I'm going to say it. So the people who didn't smoke sat in the front, and the people who did smoke sat in the back. And so <laughs> that's it, basically. But So they start the truck, and then the people in the back start their cigarettes, and they're just sitting there chilling, smoking, and they start to drive down the hill. And they're making their way down the mountain. And as the guys are kind of cooling off because the windows are down and it's the end of their hard days of work, they notice something off in the distance. Something that they reported as being about 100 miles off from where they were. And it actually was hovering above the mountains, about 20 feet off the ground, hmm. right? So as they're driving, they get closer and closer. And this thing, it's something that the men can't quite identify. It's kind of hidden behind some trees, but it was noticeable enough because it was giving off a yellow light glow. And it wasn't like, I don't know if the best way to say it is like just the radiance of a nice yellow color. It wasn't like a light that was visible. That's kind of one of the things that Travis was saying. It wasn't just this light. It was just the essence of yellow was just glowing off of whatever this thing was. Hmm. And so they get closer. And they still couldn't figure out what it was, mm -hmm. but they got as close as possible that they can drive up to it, right? So they got to this clearing. They're looking in amazement. All six of these loggers were fixated on this figure out in the middle of the woods. And it was at that moment when the truck was stopped, when they got as close as they could possibly get in their truck, that Travis Walton decided to leave the truck alone and get up and close and personal 
to get a look at it. So he starts to make his way into the forest to get closer to the object. And as he approaches it, he realizes what they kind of already knew, that he was coming up on a UFO, also known as an alien's whip. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed. <clears throat> Didn't. The sudden realization was startling, and Travis stood there paralyzed in every emotion imaginable. Meanwhile, the guys in the truck already deduced what they were looking at, and they kept shouting to Travis to come back. They're like, hey, get back over here. Come on, come back, Travis. Just come on. And he's just like, just give me like one second. Just one second. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to, you know, he's fixated, so he's determined to go look over there. So they're telling him, what, they're insisting for him to return back to the truck, because who knows what the hell is going to go on? Like, what the hell is going to happen? But according to various articles that I read and interviews that I watched, it was at that moment that Travis noticed a noise similar to maybe an engine starting. I don't know how to describe it because it's not like they just flipped the keys and all of a sudden it was like, <laughs> but all of a sudden, you right. All of a sudden this low humming noise started to come off of this object, off of this UFO. It was like a rumbling and a humming noise and Travis described that the outside of the ship started to like move like in a like a rotating fashion and he was like oh beep you know like something's happening and so he tried to hide from the ship and then the guys in the truck were pleading for him to come back but according to what Travis said is that he jumped behind a fallen tree mm -hmm. but actually jumping behind the fallen tree got him closer to where the ship was <laughs> I don't understand why he did it, but that's how it happened. And obviously, when you're in the middle of things, things just happen to go a certain way. So before Travis knew it, a blue beam of light shot out of the UFO and it covered him. The force was so strong that it pushed him against the ground and then it picked him up. And I'm not sure how to describe exactly what happened. And basically, from my understanding, is his body started to contort and then it lifted his body up and then he and the ship vanished into the night sky. That's my understanding of what happened. Dumbfounded and terrified, the other guys decided to throw the car and drive and get the hell out of there. And look, I'm not saying it was the bravest thing to do, but I totally understand. Like, if I was sitting there and I watched Ollie and Superman get beamed up by Scotty, I would have been chucking out the deuces and been like, we need to blow this popsicle stand right now. Well, if you ask me, I think that uh, good old Travis got exactly what he was asking for. I mean... I feel the curiousness of it all. Because in my mind, I would have been like, we've never seen anything like this. Someone has to see it. And I might have been dumb enough to do it, but he did it. So the guys were starting to speed down the mountain at this point. Before they realized it, they're like, hey, wait a second. That was our friend. What the hell are we doing? We just left him there. So they kind of had to hype each other up. And they're like, fine. Patrice, if you want to stay here, Lori and I are going to go back and save Ollie. And then they're like, what kind of person would leave behind Ollie? And everybody was like, all right, let's go back and see the idiot, you know, right? So they throw the car back and drive and they head back up the hill because they realize like, that's a friend. We gotta go at least try to save him. And so when they got there to that clearing in the woods, the UFO was truly gone, but so was Travis. The guys turned on their high beams on the truck and they started to look through the night in hopes of finding their friend, but no one found any trace of Travis or there even being a UFO. 
So they hopped back into the truck and they rushed all the way back to Heber and they got to the local sheriff and they're telling them everything about working in the mountains, smoking in the truck and seeing the UFO, everything. And Travis was gone. So the sheriff immediately starts to form a logical conclusion for the story. And he comes up with the idea that the crew of loggers actually murdered Travis. And now in order not to be found out as murderers, they came up with an elaborate story of an alien abduction to throw people off the case. So search parties assembled regardless of everything and everyone goes back to the national forest and starts to search for Travis. Actually, Travis Walton's family got word of what happened and they live in a town known as Snowflake, Arizona. So it's not too far from Heber, but they were able to come and join the search. And one of the Walton brothers also accused the five loggers of murdering Travis and hiding the body. So they were like taking apart all those stacks of wood, all those bundles that they put together. They were taking everything apart in search of Travis because they were like the only logical thing is that these guys kill Travis and they're trying to get away with it. But the search party searched and they searched for hours and couldn't find anything. No evidence of foul play, no murder weapon, and most importantly, no body. So the search didn't stop after that first night. Everyone was on edge and it seemed as though all eyes were remaining on the five loggers who claimed the disappearance by UFO. But they kept searching night after night in hopes of just finding evidence that Travis was actually there or maybe there was a ufo and maybe they didn't murder him but they just don't know where he is and nobody has any answers except for a ufo abduction hmm. so now things look bad and if this is all in the movie then damn they really stood close to the story but about five nights pass and there was a man who stumbled into heber and he goes to the payphone and he asks the operator to connect him with his family in snowflake arizona the operator obliges and they call his place to the walton family and the person calling is Travis Walton. Yup, you heard me right. The man on the phone was Travis, and he was calling his family to come pick him up in Heber, and he explained that he was involved in an alien abduction and is alone and lost and needs them to come help him. So now while they were on the phone, apparently the operator was listening, which first of all, that's a violation of a person's privacy, but apparently they didn't care. And because Travis was making this phone call, the operator called the police and informed him that there was a man named Travis Walton on the phone in Heber, Arizona, and he's claiming that he was abducted by aliens. This is the missing person you guys are looking for. He's at this payphone, and I'm just letting you guys know. So while he's telling his parents and family and everything, like, hey, come pick me up, I'm in Heber, I was abducted by aliens, the police are let out to, like, go find him because they know that he's around in the area. So as the police roll up, so does the family. And fearful for the privacy of Travis, the family decides that they're not going to let him go with the police because they felt as if, like, if the police got a hold of Travis, they wouldn't see him again because he'd have to be tested or, like, evaluated for being, like, with aliens or whatever. So they're like, we'll bring him to the police station, but we're not going to, like, let him go with you. And so the police are like, okay, as long as you bring him over, that's fine. No big deal. So they do. They actually bring him over. And now all six of the loggers are at the station and... They were given a polygraph test about all the events that happened that night where Travis went missing, and they all passed. And the police questioned Travis about what happened that November night in 1975. So he sets up the scene for everyone like this. Picture it, Arizona, November, 1975. A truck of six loggers is coming down the mountain. After a hard day's work, when off in the distance, they see a floating, glowing UFO. Okay, so maybe he didn't exactly set it up like that, but that setup is one of my personal favorites and I'll do it whenever I want. <laughs> you got it, Patrice? 
Anyway, so he tells them everything. We already know everything, but he goes into detail about what happened when he was on the ship. So he said that the whole light beam process left him feeling broken inside, as if something was wrong with his physical body. And during one of the interviews that I watched, and I'll post that on the website, he goes into detail about what actually happened once he was inside the ship and what one of his theories were. So basically he said that he initially woke up and he thought maybe he was already in a hospital. Maybe something bad had already happened, right? And so he sees things moving around him and poking and prodding him. And he just assumed that they were doctors because he couldn't really see. When he was able to get his sight back, the beings that he thought were doctors were actually three different aliens. They had gray skin, big eyes, a nose and a mouth, bodies, hands and a feet. He said they were skinny in their stature and lightweight. And when he finally realized what they were, he freaked out and was able to push one of them out of his way. Really easily, he said. He said it was just like a light shove because at this point he's groggy. He doesn't have his full like mobility with his body, but he lightly pushed him and he like fell over. And so he got up off the table and he's running to try to hide. And he's face to face with three different aliens and he's freaking out. And then things changed because a human looking figure with a helmet came in, walked him to a different room. And he described that room as looking like a star map room. Like when you sit in the chair, you can control the different screens around the whole ship because in that room that you're in, you're basically looking out at the stars. And so he's saying like when he was in that room, he can see the different planets, different stars. And if he were to like move certain things, it would change the whole view. So he called it the star map room. And the being was with him. And for some reason, after seeing that being, everything seemed okay. So later, the aliens continued to do more on him, apparently, during this five-day process. And he was in and out of his consciousness on the ship. So that's why he didn't, like, remember everything. Just a few couple memories from actually being there. Mm. But for the most part, he said he was unconscious. And one of the theories that he came up with was that he was never intended to be an abduction victim. And that when he was beamed into the ship, it was by accident. And during the process, he was physically messed up by that beam. And so he thinks that maybe the aliens that were like around him were actually working on him to fix him. And then they just brought him back home Hmm. because he was never a victim. Now I know that that's just a theory and this is just the basic summary of many articles and interviews that I watched, but This was all about the abduction of Travis Walton, and this is what he thought. So I feel like that's pretty powerful. Like, I thought that that was something different that I never heard before, that maybe it was just an accident. Yeah. And so there are many people who claim that this whole thing was a hoax, and the story was created to just bring money to everybody involved, and also help with the deadline that the six loggers were coming up on, (laughs) which they've denied you know they denied that we're not in it for the money they denied that there was no deadline that they were coming up on and they needed to like buy themselves some time and once again this podcast and this episode is not made to discount anybody's accounts of a story happening or their true life happening but it's just to tell you the true story behind all these movies so after all of this was done, the National Enquirer actually gave each one of the six loggers a $5,000 check for passing their polygraph tests. And for as many people who believe in this hoax, there are the same amount who do not believe. Actually, it was discovered that the sheriffs in Heber were actually hiding evidence of other people who claimed to have saw that UFO in the area that same night. 
So when they were like, oh, you, you murdered him, like, you guys are just trying to get away with it. We're saying there's UFO. There was like a multitude of accounts of people who were camping or hunting in the area who were like, yeah, we saw a UFO. We saw some unidentified flying object, a beam of light, blah, 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 blah. So there was a lot of evidence to back this up. And I'm sure that there's so much more that I probably wasn't able to find when I was sharing the story with you, but it's actually claimed that this is one of the most famous and well-documented alien abduction cases that are out there. And it's crazy how we're barely covering this now, but I'm glad that we're doing it. And I'm not sure about all of you out there, but if you're a fast reader, then I definitely recommend you picking up Travis Walton's book because it has everything in detail about the true events that happened to him while he was on that spaceship. And I read some of it while I was researching the story. And also, we are going to watch the Fire in the Sky movie um, this coming up Monday for the Monday movie night. And also, Travis Walton, he featured his story on Discovery Plus's series called Alien Abduction. So you can watch that as well, where he talks about it. He even holds a convention where he and sometimes some of the other loggers come and talk about the events that happened. So this whole story is a crazy one. And it makes me want to watch the movie on Monday that much more and if you're wondering what happened to travis walton he says that he truly believes that he won't be abducted again because in his mind it wasn't even supposed to happen in the first place it was just an accident and if they were actually targeting him then they'd come back for him but it's been 40 years and nothing hmm. so he's saying like i'm in the clear he's like that's my past and i'm moving forward the reason that he does share a story is because he doesn't want anybody who's experienced something similar to this to not come forward. He did, you know, for a while, change his phone number, disconnect because everybody was like coming for him for stories and stuff like that. But it was just a crazy story to read about. And I feel like alien abduction is something that we still don't know that much about and like exactly what happens. Like this is the first time that I've ever heard of an alien abduction maybe being an accident, you know? Yeah, I've definitely never heard you say that like that. But that's the end of another episode. What did you guys think? I thought it was so good. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the movie, but that, I mean, the whole beginning of it sounded familiar. I remember that much. Lori, I wanted to ask you too, since you saw it and it was so scary, like, what did you think about the story versus memories of the movie? Well, like most brains do, I saw the movie when it came out in the theater. Mm -hmm. So what I remember the most is the scariest scenes of the movie. So uh, the stuff that you mentioned here didn't cover any of that. So you're in for, you know, your own understanding of that when you watch the movie. What part of the movie was like the scariest? Like, why is it still the scariest movie that you've seen? Um, I, I think it's the scariest movie for me just because it's based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was, I was like 11 when this movie came out and had no idea this is what I was in for when my dad took me to the movies. Nice. So, um, the scariest part was when he's like laying down in some little pod and then he just breaks out of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, the scene that is shown is how massive of a space that he's in. And um, to me, that really countered a lot of the ideas that I had about spaceships. You know, even though this is a movie Hollywood rendition, you never know. Mm -hmm. You never know how big something like this could be. So it's massive. He 
is kind of like in a gravitational float because, you know, he's um, not bound by gravity and he's just facing this huge wall that just seems endless from what I remember. And um, they're all filled with different pods that hold something. So I'll leave it at that for you to see what it is yourself. But for me, because it's such, it's always been such a bizarre depiction mm -hmm. um, of alien abduction stories or um, spaceships, that's what creeped me out the most. I feel it. Will you watch the movie with me on Monday? Yeah. You will? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think she would. So movie Monday, we'll, yeah. we'll watch it again. We're going to face Lori's fears, and I'm excited for it now. Yeah. But it was, yeah, like I said, this is a crazy story, and it's super crazy to me to know that this is a Hollywood movie, sure, but based on a true story. Like, parts yeah. of this actually happened to somebody. And like I always say, like with every episode, if there is a small piece of anything that's true, that's enough. Like, it doesn't have to be everything that he said happened, happened, or... Maybe even the six guys, maybe somebody didn't notice the UFO, but something happened that night is what's apparent. And regardless if it's just the six people saying it, there are more people who recounted the event too, the UFO. It's not just the six people. So it couldn't just be six people trying to stall on a job that they were doing in the national park. It couldn't just be, we're going to get paid $5,000 for the National Enquirer because at what point does this affect your life on a bigger scale? where things change so maybe they just wanted the truth out there maybe they wanted more of the story out there because it's happening out there and some people just don't speak up so regardless of anything if you watch the movie we're watching it on monday it's called fire in the sky if you're a fast reader or if you're interested in alien stuff check out his book fire in the sky based on the true story and he also has a show on disney plus so you can watch it on there but I appreciate you listening. This is the end of another Campfire Adventures podcast episode. It was a fun one to do because we finally did it. We've been talking about this episode for a long time. And we're chilling out here right by the Oceanside Harbor, which just feels nice. So I appreciate you guys out there in podcast land for listening. Um, every noise you heard is because we're outside in a parking lot with alarms, with boats, with <laughs> seals, Helicopter. with helicopters. Everything you could think of is happening right here. And I'm just here with Patrice, Lori, and the boys, and we're just chilling, maxing, relaxing, all cool. But with that said, I hope you have a good evening or a good night whenever you listen to this. And you can see all of our behind-the-scenes photos at Camper Adventures Podcasts on Instagram and Facebook. And you can see all of our source material, the interviews that Travis had done on Joe Rogan and also on Alien Abduction. You can find that on our website at www.campfireadventurespodcast.com. Okay, with that said, I'm going to say bye. 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 bye.